Scripture reading today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2. Those of you who are in some of our new groups working through that curriculum, this passage should sound familiar to you. But Acts, chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Right? Is that right? 44. I'm sorry. I won't read the whole thing then. 44. Here's what it says. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I'm going to read that part again. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May God add a blessing to the hearing and the understanding of the scriptures. Amen. So I know this might be hard to believe, but it's the truth. I haven't always been the specimen that you see before you today. (laughs) It's true. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. I wasn't always the intellectual paragon that you know and love. Now, what I know is we got a lot of new people in the room. I'm just joking. In fact, I had to use a thesaurus to look up the word paragon, right? Because it's the first time I've ever used it in a sentence. But truly, for a big part of my life, I was, I was just a major goofball. You know, I've, uh, I've always been thick. Anybody else shop in the husky section when you were a kid? Yeah, big boned? Yeah, that was me. That was me growing up. And, you know, especially around middle school when it, like, becomes cool to be mean. You know what I'm talking about? It's like this little window where it's, like, cool to be mean. You know, I discovered that humor could work as a sort of self-defense strategy. Anybody else? It's like if I could make people laugh before they made fun of me, then they usually wouldn't make fun of me. So I just decided that's going to be my strategy. I'm going to try to be the funny guy, right? And that, that kind of became sort of the role that I played. You know, growing up, I didn't take myself all that seriously. I've always been a bit of a thinker, but I kind of kept that part to myself. That wasn't my shtick, right? By the time we get to high school, we all have a sort of role we play, don't we? Remember like Breakfast Club? Right, you got the, the jock, the rebel, the weirdo. Like by the time you get to high school, you kind of have this sort of lane you've been in, and all these expectations of who you're supposed to be. And I, I played into the role of like the class clown. That's kind of who I was. I was just goofy. Didn't take myself all that seriously. In fact, I remember my junior year of high school. Here's just an example. Just, this memory came to me this past week. Junior year of high school is like English class. I can't remember what you call it. They call it like five different things: English lit, whatever, whatever you call it. it has to do with writing stuff, right? Uh, I remember we had a big, big project, end-of-the-year project, and it was a group project, and it had something to do with, like, coming up with your own fictional story and then illustrating it in some really creative way. And I somehow managed to talk a group of people to be in a group with me, and we decided to make a movie, which, looking back, was kind of impressive. I mean, this is back when you didn't have, like, editing software on your computer, right? You didn't have digital cameras. I think we borrowed somebody, some parent's camcorder that went on your shoulder like a rocket launcher. Remember these things? And it had, like, the tape cassette inside of it. And so if you messed up, 
You didn't edit the thing on the computer. You had to rewind the tape to the exact spot and then record. You know what I'm talking about? Right, so we made this movie. And the movie was the superhero genre. And keep in mind, this is before Marvel, right? Bit of a trendsetter. But the main hero in the story, I don't know if I was Novocaine Boy, okay? This was a young man, because of a freak dentist accident, somehow got the power to, like, make people lose feeling in their body just by touching them, okay? So that's sort of our hero. And his nemesis, it gets even worse, his nemesis was Dr. X-Lax. Yeah. Anybody do the brownie trick with X-Lax or somebody? No? Well, Dr. X-Lax, of course, could, like, wish instant diarrhea on anybody, you know, just by thinking about it, right? And this whole thing climaxed in a big fight between the two of them. Novocaine boy was, of course, victorious because he somehow managed to touch Dr. X-Lax and he lost control of his powers, right? Teacher hated it. Class loved it, right? But, I mean, for most of middle school and high school, I was just a goofball. And I didn't take myself seriously. But that kind of sort of started to change my senior year. Because I had an English teacher named Mr. Kinsey who could see through my shtick. Right? I remember one day after class, he pulled me aside and he, and he said something like, I'm familiar with the whole funny guy routine. Because I did it too in high school. But I can see just from some of your writing, you actually have a gift for this. And I think you have a brain. What if you tried to use it? And I remember him telling me, he's like, I'm, I'm going to push you this year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you. And he did. And I loved it. You know, and even I remember after I graduated, so I, I lived in Lafayette, Indiana. Purdue University is like in our backyard. And I ended up spending my first two years at Purdue. And he, the first one, he talked me into signing up for this, like, intensive course of study that really focused on philosophy, history, and English, writing. And it was challenging, but it lit me up. This is like when I first began to realize, I actually do have a brain, and I kind of like to use it, right? But I stop and I, and I think about his, his influence in my life, his impact in my life. I thought about him this week, and I tried to look him up, because I would love to say thank you. I would love to say thank you. Because he did way more than a teacher had to. You know, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to say something. He didn't have to care. He didn't have to get involved or be invested, but he did. He did get involved. He was invested, and I am so much better for it. I'm grateful for him. Do you have people like that in your life? You, know, you look back over your life, the people you're grateful for, they're probably people that made a contribution. Am I right? They said something. They decided to care more than, it was what, than they had to. Right? They decided to sort of get involved. And I bring this up because the passage that I read to you from the book of Acts, just a few moments ago, it describes the sort of community that formed during the early years of the church. Now, those, those of you who might not be familiar with the scriptures, the book of Acts kind of picks up where the gospels leave off. So Acts is actually part two of the book of Luke. Part two. Luke, part two. Right? The book of Luke is about Jesus, but the book of Acts is also about Jesus. It's about how Jesus' life and spirit inspired the first followers of Jesus to go and introduce their world to this new and better way to be human. So it's still about Jesus, but it's about what Jesus is doing through his followers. And there's this description in, in Acts chapter 2 of how they lived together when this whole first thing got started. And I love this description towards the end of the passage. It's the part that I re repeated, but it gives us an idea of the sort of presence 
that they had in their community. When it says that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. Y'all say that with me. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. That's something to think about. Think about that. That word for favor, it literally means gratitude. So they enjoyed the gratitude of all the people. And that phrase, all the people, it literally means all the people. The church started in the city of Jerusalem. It was a big, ancient city. It was massive for its day. I mean, think about this statement. Something about the presence of these first followers of Jesus earned them the gratitude of everybody in the city of Jerusalem. It didn't matter if you were a part of the church or not. They were glad that the church was there because they were making their city a better place. Man. You see, the church from the beginning... It's always been meant to be a good neighbor, to have the kind of presence in its community that leaves the people there feeling grateful, just like Mr. Kinsey did for me. We are meant to make a contribution, to be invested, and to be involved. And the thing is, it makes sense, doesn't it? Think about who our, who our leader is, where we take our cues from Jesus. I mean, several times in the Gospels, people ask him to sort of, what's the thing? What's the big thing? What's this really all about, right? And how does he summarize it? How does Jesus summarize what life and faith is all about? He does this several times. He says, always says it the same way. It comes down to this, loving God with everything you got, and then what? Loving your neighbor as yourself. And that as yourself part is important because it implies a sort of equity. And if things aren't good for everybody, then they're not good enough. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And for Jesus, these two weren't two different things. They were two sides of the same coin. Man, you, you love God? Guess how that shows up in how you love other people and how you love your neighbor. And Jesus also had a really interesting definition for neighbor, didn't he? When Jesus talked about loving our neighbor, he's not talking about the people who live next door to you that you go and buy a, borrow a cup of sugar from. No, he had a much broader, bigger idea of who our neighbor is. In fact, in one of those times, when Jesus gets asked for a summary, right, sum it up for us. Jesus, what's it all about? And he says, love God, love your neighbor. Well, a religious leader who we're told is like a, an expert in the law, he asks him a little, little snarky question, doesn't he? He's like, well, who is my neighbor? Right, which is really just a nice way of saying, you know, who isn't my neighbor? Who do I not have to care about? Who do I not have to, you know, be involved with? And you see, during Jesus' time, this idea of loving neighbor, this wasn't a Jesus original. He didn't come up with this. You can read it. It's the book of, book of Leviticus. It talks about, and, and a lot of rabbis taught that this was like the heart and soul of the Old Testament law, was to become a person who actually loves your neighbor. But in Jesus' day, there was all this attention given by the Jewish authorities, religious leaders, to the definition of a neighbor. Because if you could get really specific about who your neighbor was, <laughs> then that allowed you to leave out a whole lot of people you didn't have to care about. My neighbor is only this person. Right? And so Jesus gets asked this snarky question, well, who is my neighbor, Jesus? And then Jesus goes on to tell one of his most famous parables. It's come to be known as the Good Samaritan. You familiar with this parable? For those of you who aren't, summary, real quick. It's about a guy traveling. He gets, he gets beat up on the side of the road by some people and gets robbed and left for dead. And you have two religious leaders walk by, and they don't do anything about it. Because in their mind, it, they didn't do it. They didn't cause the problem. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to touch. I'm just going to keep on going, right? The two people you think would do something, they don't. But then the third person, who we're told is a Samaritan, sees this guy on the side of the road, stops, doesn't just, you know, oh, I'm so sorry how this happened, gets involved. 
and actually takes care of this person at great expense to themselves. The person you didn't expect to do anything did something. And Jesus asks the expert in the law, who's the neighbor in the story? And he says, the man who stopped. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. You see, to Jesus, a neighbor is anyone you come in contact with, anybody that you know about that could benefit from your involvement. As a church, we want to be a good neighbor to the people who call the Midlands home. And we don't just want to talk about that, y'all. Like, we want to actually put some strategy behind that. We want this to be a central part of who we understand ourselves to be. And so we're going to try something this year. Four times this year, we're going to take a Sunday, and we're going to highlight an issue in the Midlands that's making life for our neighbors harder than it has to be. We're going to talk about it. And then we're also going to hear from some people who are doing some amazing work, who, who sort of live and breathe this on a daily basis to talk about what they're seeing in terms of the need, but also some ways in which we can help in some of the work that's being done so that we can join them in it. Does that make sense? Yeah? You all good for that? Well, today we're going to learn about the issue of food insecurity. You know, food insecurity is, is whenever people don't have any, they don't have any idea where their next meal is going to come from. It's a big issue in the Midlands. It's estimated that one out of ten of our neighbors, one out of every ten, deals with hunger-related issues. And, and estimate somewhere around 100,000 children in the Midlands deal with hunger issues on a daily basis. And so we've got some folks here with us today who are going to be sharing with us, like I said. But before they come up here, I want to point out one thing. This is important. I'll be quiet after this, I promise. We feel it's important for us to think about these issues in terms of what the scriptures call mercy and justice. All right, scriptures talks a lot about this. Mercy is whenever we meet an immediate need. Somebody's hungry, we give them something to eat, right? It's your food pantries. It's, it's the, the, the tangible acts of helping provide people with food. Justice step back and go, goes, why does this particular group of people always have hunger issues? Why are they always affected by this more than anybody else? And what justice wants to do is begin to attack some of those issues, the less obvious issues that are leading to certain people dealing with hunger more than others. Does that make sense? I want you to listen to that for that in this conversation. But can I go ahead and invite you all up here? Um, let's give it up for our panel. Dylan's going to lead them in uh, through a meaningful conversation that I think is going to help us be good neighbors. All right. Well, I'm going to keep getting us situated here for a second. Um, I'm trying to pull that down just a little. Does that fit in the camera? Are we in the screen? Okay. Cool. All right. Well, it's hard to follow that and go right into this. Um, but I do want to clarify, too. I like this. The shortest guy gets the shortest stool. Um, <laughs> For those of us that have not had a chance to meet yet, I am Dylan Gunnels, and I am our 
director of Mercy and Justice Ministries, and we just came up with that title because we've gotten really serious about this idea of not just doing mercy, but also doing justice. And so <clears throat> thank you, Nick, um, for really setting us up and really laying the foundation for why this is important as believers, why this is important to us as the church to have these conversations. Um, but I really want to dig into to the logistics behind it really quick before we get into this conversation, uh, especially since there are a lot of new faces and a lot of folks that it's been a minute since we've done this. And so uh, I guess about a year ago or, or a little over, I could get up here on the first Sunday of the month and say, what is it? And everybody would say Spotlight Sunday. And then we forgot what it was. And so um, leading into this year uh, with the, the provision and the guidance of the Justice League and a huge shout out to Bridget uh, and to Haley uh, for really taking ownership of Spotlight Sundays and Do Good Days together, we came up with this idea, like Nick said, of let's take a, an issue of focus every quarter. And so instead of just exposing you to as many organizations as we can throughout the year, which is still highly important, and we want you to know about all the organizations that are out there, but instead of just exposing you to a ton of organizations, uh, what if we make it really meaningful for a quarter? And so each quarter will be a different area of focus. And so like Nick said, uh, this, this quarter's issue is, is food, food insecurity and hunger. And so our methodology here is three things. One, uh, that we'll expose you to the issue. Uh, we'll expose you to the fact that this is a problem, that this is happening, but also expose you to the organizations that are doing this work. I'm joined by unique organizations today. We're joined by Harvest Hope, which is probably one that many of you know about, and we know about those organizations that do food work every day. But we're also joined by Sharing God's Love, which is a partner of ours, and they do food work every day. I'm joined by uh, Jen Felkel with the social workers in Lexington Richland 5 to talk about how food is affecting students. So you can see how your exposure to this issue is important in all the ways that it's affecting our community. So we want to expose you. And then we want to give you opportunities to get engaged from a mercy perspective, giving you opportunities to plug into these organizations on your own and just have the information readily available for you to donate your time, your resources, uh, your finances, whatever you can to the issue from a mercy perspective. And then the last piece is we want to give you an opportunity to jump into the justice side of it. And so this quarter, more justice area of focus is food insecurity and hunger. And that's what we'll be doing at the Nehemiah Action. So it worked out nicely for this quarter. But every quarter, we will help you lean into a deeper understanding of advocacy and policy around these issues and what it looks like to not be, quote, political, but to be justice-oriented because that's who Jesus called us to be. And so that's why we're doing this. And I'm stoked. I even have a, a new guest there at the end, Omari. Thanks for coming. Um, but we have an amazing panel of folks here today, and so um, I'm joined by Carla Leon, who is also uh, with Sharing God's Love, like I said, and then Aaron, who is with uh, Harvest Hope Food Bank, uh, Jen Felkel, who's with Lexington Richland Five School Social Workers, and Omari Fox, who is with Mutual Aid Midlands, but is also the best organizer in town. So uh, we're just going to jump right into this conversation, and so does everybody, I think we'll share a mic, it looks like. So um, let's have this be conversational, too, folks. I'll be watching the time, and let's just keep this conversational. So uh, whoever wants to go first, I would just ask you to talk to us a little bit uh, about how you're seeing this issue uh, in the Midlands and how you're seeing it affect people, and, and, and maybe talk a little bit about who you are and what you're doing in that question. Turn this out. So um, 
Hey, everybody. Um, I'm with Serving Connect, and I met Dylan through uh, Mutual Aid Midlands. Um, I think the how I try to think about it is not, not with your, your uh, rational mind or, or um, like when you say terms like food insecurity or some things like that, it can, count, it can sound a little academic. So I, I just try to think of it um, at personal levels. So I work in a lot of um, apartment houses, you know, HUD and um, Section 8. And from that standpoint, um, there are a lot of medicine shops. What I mean by that is there's a lot of, you know, red dot liquor stores. Um, the grocery store is now um, Family Dollar and, you know, the dollar store. So just from a dietary standpoint, um, and then uh, at a poverty level, the, the folks who might even have money, then there's the transportation issue of getting to where there's um, a supermarket. And then I think just culturally, you know, myself growing up on soul food and things of that nature, there has to be a, a kind of an internal shift of how we eat because we're cutting our, our lifespan off a good 10 to 15 years. So um, certainly at those levels, um, I think in any kind of justice work, it's just showing up um, in the work at the pitch that you can do it. I know some people like will, will run themselves broke, you know, trying to help others. I just think if we, if we figure out the collaborative nature of how we can come together, um, I, I take lead on a certain issue. Um, I want to shout out uh, Harvest Whole Food. Um, helped me out in a rapid response way with Serving Connect because the folks in the colony were returning. Um, they showed up big time for us as always. So I think um, there's enough issues for everybody to go around. I would say we have to lose the ego and the branding of like who gets the credit and just focus on the actual, you know, people getting their nourishment and just do it at the, the highest pitch that we can. Awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I, if we can just go down the line then. So Jen, if you'll keep that going. Because, yeah. uh, again, all of y'all are, are speaking from different perspectives and different work. And so um, Omari's really boots on the ground in the communities with folks. And Jen, you are too, but you're more students and families. And then, uh, and then we'll hear from the folks who are directly food organizations. And so they look not only at students, but also at faith. And just like he said, if you're a Christian, that issue is really on. And we need to kind of figure out how do we work with those broader issues and then make room to build those intentional resources. Um, and so one of the things that we do in Children's Book Five is um, since we're truly schools, always, it's always been empty. We have students who are bringing in lunch. And I think a lot of times people in the community think that food service is the project really well at school and at test. We have a lot of students who do well who don't deal with food insecurities. But even like our superintendent said the other day, we are a district that has the very rich and we have the very poor of the very poor. And so we sometimes we want to focus on that, the rich, and we only want to look 
put that bubble, but we don't want to take one tree. We want to find a good pathway that's going to be ready by all trees. We don't want to take all the kids. And I think that's something that we have to make sure that we stronger on is that we deal with how do we help those kids from K to six systematically through that process. Um, some of the statistics I'll break through is I bet a lot of you don't know we have homelessness in these classrooms that we do. We have over, I think last year we opened it at our camp with 400 students who dealt with homelessness in Lawrenceville. And so you think about that and the district too, you know, on paper it says, well, you know, we're one of the rich districts in the district, we look at any state statistics, we always rank high. But if you look at that worldwide homelessness, who's got those wheelwheels to get there? I'll show housing. That's another issue I know we're talking about later. But just systematically, there's a lot of kids who don't have homes. So that does impact the homeschool rate of admission. Um, one of the things that we do as a district is we distribute um, snapshots. And we actually have one going on Friday here. I think we're on year 12, if I'm not mistaken, of handing out snapshots. And each week, we have students who go home that might not have a full snap or that food they've been eating. And so last year, one window gave us 750 snapshots weekly to students. And so that's one way that we are creating a dollar box. That's a way to get a little bit there for kids. They look forward to their snapshots. And I know it's not looking extra. For a lot of those kids, it's a necessity. They would not have food on the weekend if it wasn't for our community coming together to put and assemble those snapshots. And then we have school liaisons within the school that distribute those snapshots to those kids each week. And the school social workers kind of work directly with those families, again, to build build within their systems to figure out where, what do those kids need? What do those families need so that they can break the cycle of poverty? So that's just a little bit about, a, in a nutshell, a little bit about food insecurity in the district. Thank you. You know, here, okay. My name is Erin Rowe, and I'm the CEO of Harvest Hope. And I do love to talk about kind of meat in the community. Um, if you hear me speak, food is my love language. It's coming to my house. I'm feeding you. It's what I like to do. And it truly is, if you think about a meal, if you think about a holiday, it's, it's typically centered around a family recipe. It's centered around a tradition. And you have to eat to live. It is a basic human need. You, you don't live if you don't eat. Um, hunger is not food insecurity. I have two high school boys, and I don't know when they're not hungry. I literally, <laughs> like, their snacks are boxes of cereal, and I don't know where all my food goes. And I'm very grateful that I can buy it, but it's not hunger. You know, they're, they're hungry when they wake up, um, and they're hungry when they go to bed. And I think they're hungry in the middle of the night because I wake up and they've eaten all the food in the kitchen at 2 o'clock in the morning. But food insecurity is actually a choice. It's a moment in time where I have to make a choice of paying a bill that's necessary or buying food. And if you think through your paycheck flows, um, your bills come, you have a date on them, you get an envelope, and when you get your paycheck, you usually pay your bills. And you try to, depending upon if you get paid weekly or monthly, kind of make sure they last. And at the end of the day, whatever's left over of those bills is what you have to buy food with. And if anything happens in that very delicate balance and things happen all the time, that's when you have to make that choice, and that's where our community is really struggling. Um, a lot of people ask me, you know, you just feed homeless people. We do feed a lot of homeless people. The majority of the people that need our services through our partner agencies, like Sharing God's Love and Serve and Connect, they are working. They're, they're truly trying to support their family, but their car broke. Um, their child got sick, and they missed two days of work. COVID happened. You know, pick a thing that if you aren't um, – 
lucky enough or fortunate enough to have a system, a support system, whether it's your relatives or your neighbors that you can call and help, you're on your own. And it is a very, very complex world right now to manage finances on a short budget and everything that's going on. Um, I see it a lot through all types of populations. You know, you talk about child, child feeding. That is one of our most vulnerable populations. It is near and dear to my heart. You know, a child is solely supported by another adult. They cannot go get a job. They cannot go to the grocery store. They are truly a vulnerable population. And that's really what I ask our community to step up because we can change their life. That's going to have multiplier effects later on. They're not going to struggle when they're, you know, supporting their own family. They're not going to struggle as a senior. So we have to come together as a community to give these kids a fighting chance. Um, it's not a fair playing field, and we all probably see that in every single one of our works. It's not a fair playing field. Um, it is not political. I say that all the time. It doesn't vote. Hunger doesn't vote. They don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. They're just hungry. Um, a lot of times it's very easy for us to put people in a box and it's because of this that that's happened. I see that a lot. Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if their parents can't or won't or are not there for that child. It doesn't. I always ask people to be empathetic. Um, if, if you're able to rationalize a reason why someone's hungry, that means that I don't have to do anything about it. And I think a lot of times that happens. So I truly ask y'all to have open mind, have open hearts. Um, it doesn't have to be fair, it doesn't have to be right, it's just what it is. We are one of the richest countries in the world and we have some of the poorest areas in our communities right here in Columbia and that's, it's just not acceptable to me. Um, and, and there's lots of stories, I'm sure each of us can tell stories that, that make your heart break, but we had a school resource officer call us and everybody knows what a school resource officer are, it's not a teacher, it's so make sure everybody's behaving. Um, he was seeing a bunch of kids run behind the school every day. He's like, what are they doing? And he went back there, and they were getting the food out of the trash can. And that's not, I'm not going to say the school, but it's not somewhere that you don't know. And it's, it happens all the time. And I think that the fact that your community here in this church is coming together and wanting to be a part of change, that's what we need to happen all across um everywhere actually because we can't change it unless we all work together i also like to say hunger isn't uh, a symptom it's not a root cause it's a symptom you are food insecure because of multiple things that have happened and we do have to come together to really look and see what are driving that transportation is a huge one affordable housing is a huge one child care it's so expensive to go get a job and have someone watch your child it's it's hard um and so i do appreciate y'all coming together and really looking at this issue and, and the willingness to want to change it. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, um, I'm Carla, and I'm with Sharing God's Love, and I'm an interviewer there. So our director gave me this wonderful task. <laughs> and um, like all of they've said about hunger, you know, it is a symptom, and mostly it's because of just the fact that a lot of our people in our community are, you know, working at minimum wage or something like that just to support their family. And they have so many outgoing bills. And so it's kind of like, well, what do we juggle? Like they said before, do we juggle the, the you know, um, electric or this, that, and the other? Well, um, Sharing God's Love is a ministry that has been put into this community by 
churches, and we've been supported by a lot of churches in our community, like y'all and everything, and we, you know, and not just monetarily, but in, you know, volunteer work, and also um, just having food drives and things like that. And um, one thing we've <coughs> noticed over the years that we've been in place is that, you know, last year we gave out 724185 dollars in just food and you know so we're very you know we're just very grateful that you know we we have the harvest hope that helps build our um, pantry but also with the so many people that are coming in into our place you know it's it's amazing we we see anywhere from 15 to 16 people a day and we've had a, an increase in new people coming in and they were doing well and then all of a sudden they're not and um, so you know we just and we we also help provide with clothing and we've I think one of the one glorious things that we do is um, the Christmas for the children that wouldn't get Christmas if we didn't help and all and um, you know it's just we have so much going on in our community that we don't, you know, don't recognize on a day-to-day -day basis. But when you're working at a place like Sharing God's Love, you, you're more, you know, aware of um, how people struggle. We get so many homeless people. I think our homeless um, population has increased. And um, we have some that are just regulars that come all the time because of their situation. They're just grandparents. Re you, we have so many grandparents raising children today. And, you know, because the, the children's parents are either in jail or, or just, you know, can't make it on their own. And they, you know, they're a single parent and they need that assistance from their, you know, their parents. And so we have a lot of um, families that are, you know, have 10 people in the household because they can't live out on their own. They need all that support. And their, you know, adult children are still in the home with them because they can't find jobs. And it just, it's so heart-wrenching, you know, to, to see these people that come in. But they, the thing I love about them the best is they know who God is. And they know that he is their provider. And they come in and they say, you know, we got all this going on, but God's got this. And that encourages me every day. You know, I don't, you know, I... Before I went to Sharing God's Love, I really didn't give much thought about what's going on in the community or anything like that. And just the fact that, you know, now I see it every, you know, three times a day at least, or three times a week at least. I see that, um, you know, just there are a lot of people out there hurting, but they still have that strong faith in God. And, you know, it just, what a blessing to me and to all the interviewers there. And, um, you know, we just are very grateful that that ministry is in place and, and being able to help those. And um, I don't know what, want to go on unless there's other questions you want to ask. So. <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, so we got about 10 minutes, so I'm going to kind of pare down into some story uh, and then and tell us how we can get engaged. Um, but I'm going to steal 30 seconds of your time uh, to tell a quick story of my own. 
because I really want to talk again, all of you kind of touched on intersectionality of this issue, and I really want to touch into that a little bit because it is important to understand the intersectionality when you're trying to understand big issues like this, right? Like food insecurity is a major issue, but it has so many different facets as to what's causing it and why it's being perpetuated. And so I give you an example from last week in my day job meeting an individual who is uh, seeking assistance and she's living out of her car with her two-year-old daughter. And I don't tell you that story for any other reason but just to share that you automatically have to think, my day job is working in housing, but I immediately have to think about the fact that, okay, not only do we have to try and find this individual housing, this person's living out of their car. So this person can't go to the grocery store and stock their fridge like we can. This person has a two-year-old. What is that two-year-old eating? What is being, what is nutritious to that two-year-old? What is nutritious to that mother? And so my point in that story is just to quickly show you that when we're talking about all of these issues, they all intersect because they all matter. Because again, if I'm talking about an individual who just needs housing, I've also now got to think about food. I've got to think about clothing. I've got to think about other uh, related expenses to what she's doing. And also just the fear of living in your vehicle. And so can you all touch on that? Like, what are some of the intersections that you're seeing in the work that you're doing that perpetuates the food insecurity? Um, and then if you've got a little bit of story to share, I'm going to try and watch the clock. Oh, um, probably uh, sort of the affirmation I want to offer is definitely um, how I met Dylan. Um, we worked. Well, we volunteered at what's called a door home in um, Ames um, Villas in uh, North Columbia. So it's basically um, a friend of ours, Stacy Atkinson, pretty much commandeered a, a, a whole building and um, it served as a community uh, food closet. So people put their skin in the game even though they were also experiencing you know, food insecurity and I think um, that, that elevated it a little bit even more. So um, it kind of also became a cultural center. There were like vegan health classes and things of that nature. So I definitely want to lift up that work. I want to lift up um, the mutual aid work. Um, we get a couple of sources of, of donations, but it's mostly us just trying to be the best connectors we can. Um, power mapping, where, the, where there's energy resources and what have you. And a lot of times if we can't deliver in the, the dollar sense or the material sense, sometimes just walking with people on a phone call through a journey is still um, uplifting. Um, quick story, I work with Servant Connect. Um, we have a Greg's Groceries program. So when officers are in a non-enforcement situation, officers in an enforcement situation and they observe things in the home, um, they're able to impart a box of groceries that can get a family through a week. And more often than not, they're getting calls for things where, you know, people don't aren't going to jail, but it's just a situation or conflict that might have to be de-escalated. And they're called into a lot of situations that, that aren't crime related, but if they get the opportunity to see what's happening, um, they, can, they can offer that. So I could give a million stories, but just in the name of time, I wanted to shout out the Greg's Grocery Program.
think about your own physician. If you had a medical emergency, how long could you go before that? How much savings do you have? So I think sometimes we think that we're above these situations, but I see so many just families who walk into offices or walk into the offices of their business workers, and you know they thought they planned for it too. And so I think sometimes we have that stigma, you know, that if they're about to say that do something wild, they're lazy or not working hard or that stuff. And just like the payment I just said, that's really not the case. I'm just telling you, we have families that have worked really, really hard. But, you know, it's hard. I mean, look at your own grocery bill. I mean, your own grocery store is probably at least 20% higher than what it once was. And if you live on a fixed income or, a per, you know, a daily rate of, you know, an hourly job, you really can't do that. And also, one of the things that we see a lot of times, um, so it does interconnect, you know, with food insecurity, but housing, housing is going up. We do not have affordable housing anymore, do we? Not at all. And the affordable housing we once had, a lot of the people who own those properties have said, oh, well, these people are building a house, or they sold their house, they have nowhere else to go, they pay money, so I'll, sell, I'll rent my house at a higher rent, because the, the affordable housing we once did have is gone. So, and then transportation, we haven't talked about. If you don't have a car to go get you to these places, how can you do, you know, how can you go to Arendelle Grove, or how can you go to Harvey Hope? So a lot of times our school social workers, our community partners, they kind of come together to take the food distances, you know, to take that stigma. Um, with childcare, I can't stress how important childcare is and how expensive that is, and how we can't even really get childcare workers to work in the childcare center. So it really is all multifaceted. It is not one, you know, one thing. If it was just one thing, we might be a lot easier. But I think that's the part that we have to work within the system. And just like Pastor Nick Sermon, I think it takes all of us to come together to bring this all native. And then we can't judge each other. We have to kind of work together alongside that family and help them work through it. I think that's another thing. We can't do it by ourselves. There's a great book that I would encourage all of you all to read, but it's called Unhealthy Hope. And it's kind of like that book actually helps families understand we don't, we'll be with you, but you have to actually work that through yourself. We can't take the pain if we all eat into it. Um, one of the stories I wanted to share with you guys is that this church has been amazing in our district. We have really, really appreciated the outpouring of love y'all given us um, with the Advent, the miracle offering that y'all did a couple years ago. We are still using those dollars. So we are truly a very... Um, financially responsible district and making sure that we if we have other resources coming we're going to use that resource first before we come to you but some of the offering money that y'all gave actually has actually housed people for like two weeks it puts them up in a hotel for two weeks so therefore the social workers can kind of work within the system within the community to kind of bridge that gap but also one thing that y'all have been able to do is the gift bag Talk about food. We live, a lot of our families live in these hotels right down, you know, Harvey Homes Boulevard. They can actually walk to some of the restaurants to get food. So that's one thing that has been really, really helpful. Also, gift cards like at Walmart. There's a certain gift card, and I'll just buy you a card. But you can get certain gift cards at Walmart that will not allow families to get alcohol and, and that kind of stuff. And those will be useful because families actually will get certain savings. If they can get on their feet, if they can find them somewhat of a home, then they're kind of have that fresh milk, fresh meat, those kind of things. So that's been another thing that has truly, truly been helpful. And I just can't thank you guys enough. When we have families that come to us and it's just piercing their eyes and just say, thank you for not judging us. Thank you for loving us and helping us get back on our feet. And we could not do that work without all of you. And we can't do all that work without this community. We really need to all be with you.
and I'll just echo what everybody's saying. Um, it is, there's multiple root causes. I, I talk to community leaders, politicians all the time because everybody wants to know, why, why are we so hungry? How do we fix it? And it's not a simple answer. And it is going to take everybody working together. Um, affordable housing. And, and when you imagine what affordable housing is, and I know there's lots of conversations in District 5, and they did not want neighborhoods to come up in these areas that had affordable housing. That's what your teachers live in. That's what your police officers live in. It's what your... Um, your firefighters live in, they need affordable housing because they don't make that much money. And that's where I really challenge you to have an open heart and open mind and not put people in boxes because we we don't like what we don't know. That's human nature, but we have to show love and we have to be approachable and we have to go to them. And it's very arrogant for people to expect people that need to come to us. I loved what you said about your food culture. We're really looking at that to create a dignified experience if someone comes to our pantry or Harvest Hope, one of our partner pantries, I don't want the child to know they're going to the food pantry. I want them to think they're walking into a grocery store, they get to choose the food that they want, and there's no shame involved with it because they just need help. And I've been helped in my life, and I can't imagine anybody in this room not having one moment in their life that you can pinpoint, if that person didn't help me, my life would be on a different trajectory. So if you think about the power of how many people are in here, and you open up your heart to help one person, that's going to multiply, and so that's what I leave you with today. Well, everything they said is what we actually at Sharon God's Love see when we see, you know, people that come in and, you know, just going through so much, and, um, you know, children that they're in school that, you know, just aren't, you know, not having food at home and things like that. So basically, I just kind of wanted to let you know that the way you can help sharing God's love continue to help your community is, you know, just um, think of food drives or think of even clothing drives or um, personal item drives or things like that. Because what we do is, is really kind of like, you know, so they don't feel shameful or anything like that. They love coming to us because, you know, we bring them in, we talk to them. And if, you know, their, their needs are far more than just the food and the electric. Sometimes they just need an ear, somebody to listen to them. And um, so, you know, we just pray with them. And um, then we take them into the clothing room. They get to come once a month to get food and clothing and once a year to get help with electric. Um, but when they go into the clothing room, it's not like we're picking their clothes out and saying, okay, this is what you can have. We have a beauty, it's like they get to go shopping and they get to go in there and they get to pick out what their children would appreciate and what they would appreciate to wear. And we, you know, and it's just, we, we go through, when we, we get clothing, we pick out the cream of the crop. And, um, but we do pass on the other stuff. Well, you know, I guess that kind of sounds a little bad, but um, we pass on the other things for the other ministries to pass on to, you know, the homeless or, or people that are, you know, um, other just way they use it but we like to you know let our clients feel like that they have dignity while they come there and in the pantry um, you know they don't just get you know food stamps usually or cover their food but you know it doesn't cover their toiletries so we are very good about making sure they have the toiletries they need like laundry detergent dish detergent shampoo, deodorant, bar soap, toothpaste, and toilet paper. And these are things that, you know, that their food stamps won't buy. 
And they're also like the most high um, items it's in stores. So it's, you know, just being able to do that for them is just, uh, you know, a blessing, you know, to see, you know, their face light up when they see what they're, they have received, especially when we had people that come in that are new. And they come in because they've heard about us, you know. We, they have, you know, people in there that they know that have come and, and received our assistance. And they come for, for the love and for the ministry in itself. So. Can we thank our panelists today? Thank you all for giving your time to be here today and to educate and just give us more information. Um, thank you for the work that you're doing on a daily basis. Um, and just thank you for who you are in my life. Um, I appreciate each and every one of you. So um, I will give it back over to Nick. I'll just let you know here's what's coming next. Um, tomorrow on the Do Some Good post, it will just be strictly highlighting the organizations that we were joined with today. Um, it's not because the other organizations don't matter just as much, but it's because I can only fit so much on Instagram. Um, and also because the, I want you to put a face to the organization. And so tomorrow's Do Some Good post will be strictly about these organizations, uh, their websites, ways you can learn more about them, the ways that you can donate, volunteer, the ways that you can get involved. And then in our community update, in my mission spotlight, uh, I will lay out all of the organizations that are related to food. So we didn't hear today from Food Share. Um, we didn't directly hear, um, you know, from some of the or other organizations that are doing food justice work because there are more. So we'll include that all in the community update. And then our Do Good Day will be centered around food as well. And then the last thing is I just want to put on your calendar again, Nehemiah Action. Uh, that is happening uh, March 27th with More Justice. And that's our opportunity to really rally around the justice ministry side of food and justice. So all those things are coming to you. Uh, so this was just step one of exposure, and we'll really dig into the rest as time goes on. So thank you all again, and I'll give it to Nick. That's great. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. So big action step is if you don't get the community update, make sure you sign up to receive it because there's going to be a lot of clear action steps. Um, but just to be, uh, I want to encourage y'all to consider coming out to the Nehemiah Action Rally we talked about. It's, it's the, the more justice organization that we work with that is it's one of the best demonstrations I've ever seen of how we can work for more justice in the area where we live. But this is a chance to get as many people as possible in the room. And we have legislators uh, from, our, uh, from, from our community who are there to listen to some of the suggestions from the community. It's such a great way for us to actually use uh, how, how we have things set up in our country, right, where we can ask our politicians to, to reflect the desires of our community. And the more people we get there, the better chance we have of, of them actually hearing us and taking it seriously. So we'd love for you all to join us uh, for that. What's the date on that again? March 27th, we're going to make an evening out of it, have dinner together. But last thing I'll say before we go, because I know our students are probably going crazy out there. Um, the thing that really gets, my, gets to my heart is the fact that these issues we're talking about, um, we can do something about them. Like, it's not impossible, you know, for us to make a huge difference. The issue isn't resources. The re issues aren't know-how. You know what the issue is? We just don't care enough. I mean, it's just the honest truth. The average American family throws out around 40% of its food. Think about that. We have more than enough to make a huge impact in, these, in the lives of, of families who are dealing with this issue. I just can't help but what happened if we cared enough. Am I right? Yep, so that's my, that's my challenge to you. Don't just leave here feeling bad about what you heard today. 
Maybe make a decision to do something, right, to do something about it, to get involved in one of these organizations, uh, to, to maybe take an audit of your time. Wouldn't that be something? We all, we all feel like we're busy, right, and we are. But if you were to, like, step back and actually looked at how you spend your time, how much of that is going towards you and the people under your roof and how much of that is actually being invested in your neighbors? Parents, I'm looking at you. Because providing for our kids isn't just about taking care of their needs. It's about getting them out there serving too, right? And that's one of the things y'all were doing so great. We had kids at Orphan Relief, students at Orphan Relief uh, a couple weeks ago. We had a group of middle school students yesterday at Samaritan's Well doing some work. And that's who we want to be, right? That's what it also means to provide for your kids. It's enough for me. Let's all just commit to doing something about this, yeah? Amen? Can I pray for us? Jesus, thank you for the opportunities that you've presented to us to be good neighbors, uh, to the folks that call the Midlands home. And I just pray, Lord, that we don't just leave this stuff here and forget about it, but that it stays with us. I pray that you haunt us about this as we leave here and lead us to, to do something tangible, something good, something that makes this world and our neighborhood a bit more like the kind of place that you want it to be. We love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. Church, thanks for coming. We'll see you all next week.